but it's wonderful to, to enjoy the break while we can. And uh, I know uh, it's a good sign of a healthy church when we enjoy being with one another. If you are a guest with us, uh, welcome. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. It's my privilege to uh, usually be the guy that brings God's Word every Sunday. Uh, we have a book that's really a miraculous book. It is God's very words that He's preserved for us uh, because He loves us, because He's a glorious God and He wants to make Himself known. And so for us, as we gather in His name, we gather before Him to experience His presence. We do that in singing, we do that in sharing of His Word, and we do that through the preaching of His Word. And that's an important part of our worship time, and we devote uh, about 45 minutes to the preaching of His Word because it's His Word, and He visited us through His Word. Uh, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29 this morning. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and learning about Jesus. This wonderful book has been given to us that we might see behold, and behold who Jesus is. We might be amazed by Him. And the implication from that amazement is that we might believe in Him. And we might follow. That's really what the Gospel of Mark is about. It's about amazing us. It's about creating faith through beholding Jesus and then calling us to follow. We've been following the storyline here and it's had a lot of exciting moments. And at this point in the story, there's, there's a large section devoted to uh, quite a, a, a sordid story really here uh, in the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't pull punches. God, uh, through His Word, exposes humanity for all that it is, both in terms of its nobility and also in terms of its depravity. And so in this story today, we're going to see both. This is something uh, that is, is worthy of reality TV and more. It's raw humanity on display, both its noblest and vilest. We're going to learn about Herod and John the Baptist this morning. These are the two really main characters. Actually, there's one more important character we'll get to as well. But the two main characters, supporting actors, uh, are Herod and John. In case you don't know about them, let me give you a little background before we read God's Word. John the Baptist, he's the good guy in the story. John is a prophet. He's the last prophet in the, a series of prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus calls him the greatest prophet, essentially. Uh, he is a faithful man who has come and he He's given his life to the Lord. He was born miraculously to elderly parents. He's actually a cousin of Jesus. And his parents weren't able to have children. And God gave them John and set John apart to be a prophet. He lived in the desert. He survived on things that were in the wild. Uh, locusts, grasshoppers, and wild honey. He wore a camel's hair outfit. He, he lived a very simple Spartan life. And his ministry was to call people to repent, to turn from sin, and to, to believe in God, to come back to God. He called the people of Israel to repentance and to express that repentance and that renewal through baptism. And so that was his role, and he did it faithfully. He's the good guy in this story. The bad guy is Herod. Herod Antipas is his name. He's part of the Herod dynasty. Maybe you've heard the story. These are non-Jewish leaders that ruled over dif different uh, districts of Israel at the time. They were either governors or kings. You perhaps know about Herod the Great. He's the Herod who ruled at the time of Jesus' birth. He built, rebuilt the temple, glorious temple that was rebuilt through Herod. But Herod had mixed motives in what he did. We know the story from uh, Jesus' birth that he sought to kill 
the Christ. He sought to kill Jesus and, and was unable to, but in the process killed all the young children in and around Jesus' birthplace. This is his son, and his son is equally a villain. He is a, actually a very capable but also ruthless ruler. He had betrayed his own brother to the Roman authorities, and another brother he stole that brother's wife. He goes on in the story to do other things. This is the bad guy, Herod. So that's kind of the scene here as we begin the story. These two main characters, John and Herod, and ultimately through their story, it's pointing to the, the main character of Scripture, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray and ask God to speak to us, to teach us through His Word, to show us ultimately Christ. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you, Lord, for this story today and all that it teaches us. Lord, I ask you to help me to serve you and to serve your people and to serve all here as I proclaim your word, as I teach your word. Would you use me? Would you bring attention to yourself? Lord, I, I want to fade in the background, and I want everybody to be drawn to you. Lord Jesus, be lifted up and draw men and women to yourself this morning. We look to you and we anticipate your work in our midst. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Please look with me at, Roman, uh, at Mark chapter 6, verse 14 and following. This uh, last week we talked about, just a little introduction, last week the 12 apostles were sent out to proclaim the gospel, to heal the sick, to drive out demons. And this work has been very successful. And then verse 14 talks about some of the results. It says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared God, knowing for, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. 
and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. God's word, Mark 6, 14 to 29. This is certainly a gripping story, a, a gruesome story, an awful story. We learn some key lessons in this story, and most of all, ultimately, we learn about Jesus. We see in this story the courage and faithfulness of John and the duplicity and corruption of Herod. And through this story, actually, we have a picture into Christ. And we have a foreshadowing of what is to come for one very much like John, Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet. This story speaks about John's death, but it points to Jesus' death. And through this, in this Gospel of Mark and through Scriptures, Jesus' death also points to the call to all who would follow Him to die with Him. These three are tied together. And really, we could sum up this story and what it means this way. As John died, so must Jesus die. And so must I. As John died, so must Jesus die. And so must I. Let's dig into these three important things that we draw from this passage. First, as John died. John is a faithful man. He is a prophet, as I talked about. He is a man who's been called by God, and he's been faithful. God called him to this extraordinary life. He could have had maybe a normal life. He could have lived in a regular home and been married and had, had children and done a, a regular sort of job and glorified God and all those things, but God called him to serve him. And John obeyed that call and served the Lord and, and lived this life of sacrifice for God. He was a faithful prophet. He was a picture, really, of, of the faithful prophet, of the faithful believer who gave his all for the Lord to the point of death. And he was faithful in the face of some great danger. He was bold enough and faithful enough, courageous enough. And being courageous really isn't about just being strong in and of yourselves. It's ultimately for the believer putting your faith in the Lord. To know that He is the God who reigns. And I can trust Him. And so John was courageous and unafraid to speak about Herod's sin. Now, he knew who Herod was. He knew what this family was like. He knew that they had no problem killing off their enemies. They didn't think twice about it. Yet John was faithful to say to Herod, it is wrong, it's sinful for you to have your brother's wife. For he had basically stolen his brother's wife. They had been becoming infatuated with one another. He had put away his other wife for, for no other reason than his lust for his brother's wife. It had made her his own, and, and it was sinful just because of that, but also under the, under the Jewish law. And, and Herod, though not a Jew, uh, portrayed himself as, as obedient to a degree to the Jewish law, the Mosaic Covenant. And under that, it was wrong to, to marry a woman in this way. And John was faithful to declare that to Herod, to call Herod to repent. To repent and return to the Lord. What a man. What a faithful man he was. And yet, it cost him a lot. Herod was a man who was duplicit. He was a man who had conflicting motives. John 
the man who's faithful. He's faithful to the Lord, and, and in his faithfulness, he gets in trouble. It's interesting. He's a man much like the list. He really uh, belongs on the list in Hebrews chapter 11. There's this list in Hebrews 11 of these faithful men and women who, who believe God. And, and because they believe God, they did all sorts of things. For some, it meant they did great exploits. They, they conquered kingdoms. They saw the dead raised. People were healed. All these wonderful things, but also in Hebrews 11 are those who were faithful and as a result of believing God and obeying Him, they lost their lives. Persecuted, sawn in two. John belongs on that list, but he's a contrast to Herod. Herod is a man in this story we see who, who has these mixed motives. He's conflicted. He likes to listen to John. There's something going on as he hears John. He's drawn. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the truth that he hears. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit as as John shares and speaks of the holiness and greatness of God and calls people to repent. Herod finds himself drawn. He, He likes to listen to him. But there's something keeping him from going the whole way and repenting and giving himself to the truth that John is speaking of. There's something else going on. Herod, Herod draws the line. He doesn't want to give in to what John's calling him to. And so he's caught in between. He's caught in this place with one foot in the world. One foot in his love for political power and favor. One foot in his love for pleasure. The, pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of this world and the riches that he had. And one foot in perhaps the kingdom. Though not a believer. A conflicted person. Stuck. Stuck halfway between the world and God's ways. Doesn't that really describe not just Herod, but many? Doesn't that actually describe all of us apart from the grace and mercy of God? That we're stuck? We're in this place where we hear the truth. We hear, we hear the truth of God's glory. We see His glory on display. Perhaps we hear the good news of the Gospel that God Himself would become a man and die for our sins and rise again so we could be reconciled to God and, and, and enjoy Him forever. We hear that and we're intrigued. We're drawn to it. We think, yes, sounds so good. And we take one step towards that, but we say, but, but what about this? What about this way? What about this lifestyle? What, a, what about the pleasures of this world? What about the comfort? What about what, what will my friends think? What will my family think? Do I really have to give up these things? And we find ourselves like Herod, stuck. And the story teaches us something about that condition that it's actually a tragic condition, not a good condition to be stuck and to remain stuck. Because what it ultimately is about, that condition that Herod is in, is he's intrigued, he's drawn, but he's not giving himself to it. He's still fully in the camp of living for self and sin on his terms. He's stuck there. He's, he's caught in the middle, but he's really firmly stuck in the ways of the world. He's a picture of worldly spiritual humanity. And, and we see it throughout Scripture. He's actually, this whole story has parallels with King Ahab. Does anyone know the story of King Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel? Have you heard that story about the king? He's another king very much like Herod. He's conflicted. And there's a different prophet at the time, Elijah. Actually, John is, in the, the, is Elijah is the fulfillment of Elijah, not actually Elijah, separate man. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. But the spirit of Elijah, the same call that was on Elijah, is on John. 
There's parallels. And Elijah, too, was faithful and bold in a very difficult time to proclaim God's Word and to be faithful to the Lord. And Ahab liked some of the things Elijah said, but other things he didn't. But he, he wouldn't act. He, he just kind of st- thought he could stay in the middle, yet his wife as well, Jezebel, would have none of it and plotted and planned how to kill Elijah. Very much like Herodias, plotting and planning how to kill John. He was stuck in the middle as well. And this pattern in Scripture is really a a picture of humanity. And if you think about it, it's really an awful state to be in. It's an awful state to be where you know that this is good. You know that God's call is good. You know that His ways are right. You know that He's God. You know that He has a right to call you to repent and believe and follow. You're drawn. You like to hear it. Maybe you like to come to church because you hear it and you see something good. And that's good. That's a, that's a first step, but it's not the final step. And it really is a terrible place to be, to be in that place where you're drawn, but you think, I don't want to give this up. This story's for you here in that place today. And really, we've all been there. And we are often there during our weeks, caught in the middle. Caught in the middle in this wretched state between two desires, competing desires. If that's where the story ended, it wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? If I just said, okay, have a great day, we'd go from here and think, oh, what am I to do? What a, what a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me? We'll get into that in a minute. In this story, these competing desires, these different figures conflict and when you have in Scripture so often and in history so often a king who, who loves the world more than the Lord and is a powerful man and you have a faithful prophet, it usually doesn't bode well for the prophet and such is the case here in this story. John is in prison for saying these things. And then there's this party. And Herodias has been plotting and planning and waiting how to get her revenge on this man who would dare to insult her and her family. And so Herod throws a party his own birthday party. Uh, He invites all the the rich and famous of the area, all these influential people at his party. And and it's a party that probably has lots of drinking and and celebrating and so forth in a worldly way. And at some point, uh, his stepdaughter comes in and dances. Now, you have to understand that this is not just a normal dance. This is not, you know, Buffy and uh, and Bobby uh, Lawrence Welk, you know, dancing in a nice way to uh, accordion music. This is something quite different. This is uh, the sort of dancing uh, you'd see with showgirls or at the MTV Music Awards. This is this is sensuous dancing. This is dancing you wouldn't expect actually a daughter of nobility to do. We don't know all that went on, but she comes and she dances and she pleases Herod and all the guests. They are they are like can often happen with worldly sensual dancing. Um, and, and uh, singers who do this sort of stuff know what they're doing to draw a crowd to their music. So that's what's behind things like MTV Music Award dancing and so forth. Don't go there, but that's what's going on. In this case, they are, they are pleased by her dancing. And Herod probably has had a lot of alcohol at this point. He's having a good time with his friends. He's pleased and he says... What can I do? What can I give you? Up to half my kingdom. I don't think he necessarily meant up, literally up to half his kingdom, but he's just boasting in front of his guests. He's in the moment 
Whatever you want, that was fantastic. Just tell me what you want. And Herodias has Herod exactly where she wants him. He's made a fool, in a sense, in front of all his guests, made this vow to her daughter, and now she gets what she wants. So the daughter goes to Herodias. What should I do? She's probably a a young teenager. What should I do, Mom? And Herodias knows exactly what she should do. Ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Awful, gruesome, terrible thought. So she goes and asks for that. And Herod, his true colors are shown at that moment. He may have been intrigued by John. He may have liked what he said. He might have attested that it was true, but when it came down to it, the most important thing to him was not truth, not what God had to say or do, not God's authority. It was his own reputation, his own pleasure, his own power. So the moment of testing comes and and his true colors are shown. Okay, I've been exposed here. I don't have an option. Bring his head on a platter. He's reluctant. He could have just said no. This is God's prophet. I will not touch God's prophet. He could have done that. But, but he's exposed. His, his true motives are exposed. And so he gives permission. He gives the order for the head to be brought on a platter. And it is he, uh, John the Baptist, this great prophet, this faithful man, is executed. And in a horrible moment of evil and injustice and dishonor of God's prophet, that head is brought on a platter presented before all the guests to this young girl who brings it to her mother. It's a low point story of God's people. His disciples, John's disciples, come, they take the body, and they lay it in the tomb. They bury him along with the other heroes of the faith of history who have similarly given their lives in service to the Lord. And the story seems to end there. And you might say, why is this long story here? Actually, it's the longest story in the Gospels uh, that talk about Jesus directly. What is it here for? If you follow the storyline in the Gospel of Mark, you'll recognize actually that Jesus' ministry follows on the heels or falls in the wake of John's ministry. So Jesus starts his ministry. John, uh, at the beginning, is out in the desert proclaiming Jesus is baptized. And John is put in prison. And that marks a moment in Jesus' ministry where all of a sudden he goes public with his ministry. Starts going throughout Galilee. So John is put in prison. It marks a moment in this transition in Jesus' ministry. It goes public. And now at this point in the story, John is put to death. And now there's a turn in Jesus' ministry. You'll start to see as we go through Mark, all of a sudden now, Jesus will start talking about his death. His imminent death. That he's going to die. That they're going to put him to death. That he's going to suffer the same sort of thing that John did. There's a turn in the story here. And we'll see it as we we go through the Gospel of Mark. John is a picture of Jesus. John is a prophet. He's the voice of God. But Jesus is the ultimate voice of God to the people. He's the ultimate miracle worker. He's the ultimate example of holiness and faithfulness and dedication. He's the ultimate martyr himself. And this story is pointing to Jesus. It's getting us ready for what's going to happen to Jesus. It's helping us understand this 
reality of the death, of John's death, but Jesus' death, and with that, the call for his followers to die as well. He's going to start to talk more frequently and clearly and directly about his own death. And it's interesting, too, to see that this happens on the heels of the twelve sent out. There's this great success. They go out to all the towns and villages and they're proclaiming the gospel. They're going to come back here and talk about their success. And elsewhere in, in parallel gospels, they talk about how even the demons submit. They, they went out and, and the gospel was proclaimed. The demons submitted. The same sort of things that were going on in Jesus' life were happening through them. And, and Jesus is known. It's this wonderful point of victory. But, but on the heels of this victory is this great evil, as so often happens when God's people are faithful in the mission. We can sometimes awaken the activity of the enemy. I believe that the enemy is happy with us if we're quiet and and inactive. If we just keep to ourselves. If we just kind of live in our bubble and love on one another, that's, that's well and good. But that's not the whole story. We're to love on one another, as Steve said, so that we can be a witness to the world so they can see Christ. And the enemy would just love for, his pe- for our, God's people just to stay with themselves. But God calls us on a mission. He calls us to go out. He calls us to be involved with things like prison ministry and just loving our neighbors and sharing. That's the call. That's the mission. But often what will happen is when we're on mission, the enemy will realize, okay, now I'm going to start opposing. That's when sometimes the, the, the trials can come. That's the history of the church. And yet God is sovereign over that. The book of Acts is a wonderful testimony of God's care for his people through the ups and downs as they are faithful in mission. And here, as this mission goes forward, all of a sudden this evil of Herod is awoken. And it is, does not bode well for what's ahead. Jesus is falling on the heels of John the Baptist and what he is to do, and he is to die as well. That is the the climax of the story in the Gospel, His death and His resurrection. That's where it's headed. And Jesus' death is different than John's death. John died a faithful man. He is a hero. But Jesus is more than that. Jesus comes in His death and resurrection to win a victory through His death and resurrection. To be more than a hero of the faith who's faithful like John but to be a hero of the faith who's faithful unto death to the point of being able to die for the sins of God's people. He takes on Himself in His death the sins of God's people. He bears them on the cross. His death is planned by God as the place of substitution. The place of dying in the place of all all of God's people. All who would turn and trust in Him. Your sins, if you have done that, had been placed on Christ on the cross. He, he bore the sins of men. And He suffered and died ultimately at the hand of God. He bore sins. He bore the wrath, the holy wrath of God for our sins. So His death is different. His death is different than John. It, it was similar but different. It, it was a, a death of substitution for us. And He was God in the flesh dying for us on that cross. And so the death of Christ is the ultimate death of the prophets and the faithful. In its perfection, but also in what it provided. It provides for forgiveness for all who put their faith in Christ. 
That's wonderful good news because the wages of sin is death. Our, our sin, the things that we have done, the choices we have made, our rebellion against God, our ignoring of God. You know, sometimes that's, that's the sin of people, of us. And we may think, well, you know, I, I didn't ever do anything all that bad in life. I never killed anybody. I, I never stole anyone's wife like Herod did. Why is God so upset? What's the big deal? But a life of ignoring God is really not all that different than a life of doing heinous things. Why? Why would I equate those two? Because they're both the same thing. They're both saying, my life is on my terms. I do what I want to get what I want. And maybe what you want is, is such that you don't have to go out and do terrible things to get it. But it's still saying, God, I don't want it your way. I want it my way. It's fundamentally the same. Just one, it, it results in worse things than others, but it's still the same heart. And God said, if that, says, if that's your heart, you're in rebellion. You're separate from me. And, and the wages of sin is death. The, the consequences, the, the just response, the just punishment for that attitude is eternal separation from God. Now, yeah, in God's mind, there are different levels of sin, so don't get me wrong. Don't get the Scriptures wrong on that. But you're not in a better place because you haven't sinned as much as somebody else down the street or in the newspapers. If you're in that place where you have life on your own terms, not God's terms, you are in danger. And I know so many people like this. As we were singing about that wonderful song, Lord, I need you. How I need you. I just first thought, yes, that's true. I know that. I need the Lord. And then my, my thoughts went to all my friends and relatives who their, their, their sin, their biggest problem is that they simply don't know that. They simply don't confess it. They simply don't, don't recognize the obvious that they need the Lord. And they live their lives not singing that, but thinking, I have what I, all I need. I'm fine. No, thank you, Lord. And I just thought, what a tragedy. Oh, God, would you work? Would you so work in people's lives that they would just simply see their need for you? To recognize that they are in rebellion, they are separate from you, and they're on a course of eternal separation from you. That they need you. They need the death of Jesus Christ in their place. They need Christ crucified for their sins so they might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And they need His resurrection. Jesus came and He rose from the dead. He didn't just stay dead. He died for sins and then He rose again. So His death is unlike John. John died. His spirit went to be with the Lord, but He stayed dead. All the heroes of the faith until the final resurrection are staying dead bodily, though with the Lord. But Jesus did not stay dead bodily. He rose again, victorious over sin and death. He has been raised from the dead bodily. And He reigns and He lives right now. And so His death is unlike John's death. His death brings us hope. His death brings us the sure promise of resurrection. When we put our faith in His death for our sins and His resurrection, there is life and the promise that you too in Him, though you die physically, will be raised again physically and reign with Him and enjoy Him forever. And that eternal life begins the day you simply turn from your own ways and sin and believe in Jesus. Eternal life starts at that moment. It can start right now. You're sitting there in your chair listening. Just say, Lord, I believe 
I turn and I believe. That's simple. And if you pray that, please let me know because I would love to pray with you. Wonderful good news in Jesus' death. So unlike any other death. So unlike John's, yet like it. And that is the rescue that I talked about earlier. When we recognize that I stand between two places, drawn to the world, drawn to an addiction, drawn to pleasures, drawn to uh, making my job my idol. There's all sorts of things that can draw us away and become more important to us in our lives. Yet we hear the good news. The rescue is this. Jesus died for those sins so that I might be forgiven and free. And when you believe in that truth, you put your faith in Him, there's power in you. First, for the penalty to be paid for. Because if you've made those choices, be it today or at some point in your life, there's a just penalty. And that penalty gets paid for by Christ dying on the cross. But also the power is broken. That sin does no, no longer holds you like it once did. There's power in the Gospel. Power in forgiveness. Power in His life in you. And if you're in that place where you're identifying with Herod, Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Him and there's power to say no to those old ways and yes to Christ. We would love to pray with you and encourage you to come and be part of this local church or another to to experience that power for God uses the friendship, the, the family of Christ to help us in that. Thank God for the good news that delivers us from the fate of Herod and Herodias. For the the end of their story is a very sad one. There was no repentance. There was a walking out of the consequences of their choices. And all that that meant, Herod had his luxury and his comfort and his fame in this world, and that was it. Unless he came and put his faith in Christ at some point, he is in a place of darkness and regret and despair. You needn't be there. Today could be the day for you, perhaps, where you put your faith in Christ for the first time and, be, and you are rescued. And if you are already a believer, you needn't live in that perspective, that orientation. There's a better life for you. There's, there's a life where sin and these things that have held you can be broken. And it comes this way. It comes through hearing the call of the Gospel and dying with Jesus. And that's the third and final point. As John died, so must Jesus die, and so must I. Jesus calls us to die with Him. To die to sin and self in the old way. It would be wrong for me not to tell you that, by the way. The the good news is good news, but in some ways there's a cost to it. Because for you to come to it, you must repent and believe. You must die to yourself and your old ways. You must put your faith in Jesus. You too must die. And this is clear in Scripture. Jesus is going to say later on in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 37, listen to what he says. He's talking about his death, and then he goes into the call for us to die. He says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He's speaking of his own death. And then he says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus calls us to die with him. He calls us to give our life to him, to lose our life in him, and loving him and loving others in his name. The call to the Christian life is not, you can have this forgiveness and do whatever you want. No, it doesn't work that way. The call of this is that you can have Christ by coming to Him, by turning from sin and believing in Him, by seeing who He is and choosing life with Him on the other side of death. For you must die to self and sin. You must die to the things that you would put higher above the Lord. You must die to the things that kept Herod from obeying John. You must die to these other things, sometimes good things. And for us, as those who struggle... Sometimes these other things can just be the simple mundane things of life. It could be just a good job or the comfort of, of prosperity. We could be dreaming. We could have dreams in life that we want. And the Lord calls us that if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And you may need to deny yourself those things. It doesn't mean that God wants to make you live a Spartan life. He's gracious. He's generous. He blesses us. He uses blessings. So don't get that wrong. It's not holier to, to be Spartan and to give away all, all the, the blessings of this world. But it, but it is holier to say, Lord, these blessings are not more important than you. I have in Jesus forgiveness and life. He is my King. He is my Savior. He is my all in all. And therefore, I choose Him above all these other things. I choose Him above having money, above having uh, comfort, above whatever it might be. I choose Him first. That is really what we are called to, the death we are called to, to find our life in Him, to be living martyrs of sorts as believers. Does that make sense? I, I hope you get that, and it's so important. And we need to be reminded of this. This is integral to the Gospel, the call to repent, to die and live again in Him. And, and so many of our problems as Christians are simply because we forget this. We forget this. And we think being a Christian is about having the Lord fulfill our dreams. It's all about getting what I want from the Lord. And, and we may not never say that. We may, may never have the audacity to actually say that, but we can live it. We can live saying, God, You owe me this thing. I'll really follow you when you heal me of this thing. I'll really give my life to you when you give me a better job. And we can end up putting ahead of the Lord these other things. We can end up being just like Herod. And forgetting that to follow Christ means to die to self and sin. To die to those things being more important than Jesus and to live again in Him. To find our life in Him. And so many of our problems simply come from the fact that we want God to heal and bless us before something else before we follow him. I remember a, a pastor who uh, I knew and he, was, he, he had a quote that he said and he said it to people who insisted that God heal them before they would continue in their life. Who basically were saying being healed is most important. I, it, it's about me getting healed. Now God wants to heal. He does heal. Don't get me wrong. But his priority in healing isn't necessarily ours. And this pastor would say God doesn't want to heal you. He wants to kill you. That's shocking. God doesn't want to heal you. He wants to kill you. And meaning that, God wants you to come and die with Christ to self and sin. 
and live again in Him. Maybe your struggles in the Christian life are simply this, that you have or are insisting that you live instead of die. You are insisting that you have something. You are longing and craving for something more than Jesus. Maybe that is your problem. That's my problem. That is, I can sum up all my struggles as simply that, that I want something more than Jesus. And I must die and live in Him and find my all in all. In the story of the Band of Brothers, uh, the band could come up as we close, the Band of Brothers is a story of this young private who's just terrified. It's, it's in Normandy, and, and it's understandable why he's terrified. He's in the middle of battle. He's terrified. He actually has a point where he, he loses his vision. He's so, so uh, afraid. And he's in a foxhole, and along comes this guy called Captain Spears, if you know the story. Captain Spears is this experienced soldier who's just bold. He's in the line of fire. He's unafraid to die. And he comes up to this guy, Blythe is his name, of the, the guy who's afraid, and he says to Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. So Spirit says, the secret to my courage is this, I've already considered myself dead, and now I live for the purpose of the army. For you as a believer, your success as a believer is the same truth. You must count yourself already dead and alive to Christ. And that perspective, that mindset takes care of so much. It reorients us. We must recognize the call here in this story we see today. John understood this. And he gave his life for the Lord. He, he knew what was ahead. The only way he had boldness to say the things he did to Herod was because he counted himself dead. Dead to self and alive to God. Christ, the ultimate picture of this. And in Christ, we all have power to consider ourselves dead to self and alive to Him. And the good news is all, all the comfort we need. Forgiveness, loved of God, accepted. I belong to Him. Why, why try to keep myself alive? Let's hear the call of Christ Himself this morning to come die and live anew in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I know that we all need to hear this truth. We all need to hear the call to die and live again in you. And so I pray for each one here, Lord, we would all would hear it. We all would have faith in you, Jesus, in your death, resurrection, and be renewed as we come follow you. Would you grant us strength to say yes to dying and yes to new life in you? But I also pray, Lord, for those in our midst who are right now caught like Herod. I pray, God, would you grant them power to die, to repent and believe in you, to die and live again in you, Jesus, to say, Jesus, I turn from sin and these things and trust in you. And they would, that prayer would be more than words, but life eternal. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your call. Thank you for the life we have in you. Amen.